Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. And if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. So we're going to be looking first. We're going to, we're going to cross-reference. I think it's important sometimes to use other scriptures to give us some clarity. Uh, so we are going to be looking at some other books of the Bible, not just Romans today. But we're going to start here in Romans chapter 13 as we dive into this topic of how are we to deal with authority? How are we to deal with the governing bodies within our world? And Romans 13.1 kind of uh, quickly establishes uh, the perspective. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Now I want to give you some context this morning as we look at Romans chapter 13, because Paul is writing this. Paul, as you know in his his epistles, he's always looking forward to going to Rome. Um, He had a desire to connect with the Roman church. He had a desire to go to Rome. In other letters, he talks about that desire of wanting to go to Rome. But we also know that Rome was kind of the end of his journey, that that was the place that um, he was pretty much uh, put on death row. And we see that this was the culmination of of all these things leading to this. And and yet we also see that Paul was was dealing with a government that was coming harshly at him and and persecuting him in the church. And then we see for about 300 years to the year 303 that the church is persecuted. And not just persecuted, uh, there's a belief that in that that time period for the first 300 years uh, of, of history of the church that it could have grown to about 7 million Christians and that out of that 7 million Christians, 2 million were killed by the government. 2 million by Roman emperors that decided that the Christian movement was uh, something to be stifled, something to be destroyed, something to be eliminated. And if you look and you, and you study the history of the emperors, and you know of Nero, and, and you've heard of, of Caligula, and all these uh, horrible Roman Empire emperors that did terrible and heinous things to Christians, um, there's, a, there's an account of where one of the uh, Roman emperors brought all the mothers into one of the town squares of, of one of the cities and, and had all the children there and said, if you don't recant, if you don't deny your faith in Christ today, we're going to maliciously uh, murder your child in front of you. That's how horrible it had gotten. That they, had, they were doing everything in their power to extinguish the gospel, to destroy the Christian message. And yet here, uh, we're told that everyone should submit to the governing authorities. And so that could bring a question, that could pose a question for us this morning. How could Paul write, and then the Romans are reading this for the next 300 years, uh, the Roman church holds tightly to this letter, uh, this is something that, that was a blessing from the Holy Spirit that God had ordained for them to, to read this letter regularly and to study it and to apply it, and here in the, the so there wasn't, there wasn't numbers back then, but here in the middle of this, this letter, they're said to obey the authorities because those authorities have been established by God. So how does that make sense? How can a corrupt, evil government be something that God established in there to obey? And so that's where we got to dive a little deeper and say, Holy Spirit, teach us and grow us, mature us and show us uh, what you have for us. And so we're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 22 because this is going to give us 
some other verses that establish, I believe, what, what the Holy Spirit wants us to know here in Romans chapter 13. Matthew 22, verse 15, this is the account of the Pharisees trying to uh, deceive Jesus. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap him, being Jesus, by what he would say. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. You don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Perceiving their malice intent, Jesus said, why are you testing me, hypocrites? And so here the Pharisees, they had this kind of a trick question that they used to, I believe, eliminate anyone that would rise up against them. They knew that Rome would not uh, allow anyone not to pay taxes or go against the Caesar. So anytime someone started a new movement, it would be easy to undermine that movement by saying, are you going to support Caesar? Are you going to pay taxes? And if they say no, then they report them to the Romans and they're eliminated. If they say yes, it devalues their whole movement and there it's extinguished. And so they had a plan on how to deceive, how to undermine, how to destroy uh, Jesus's mission and plan. If you go to the next slide, it's really interesting to me that these are the two crests that exist. Uh, my right, your left, is the United States crest. Uh, my left, your right, is the Roman crest. Pretty similar, right? Pretty interesting how time changes, but things tend to stay the same. What should we think about government? What should we think about taxes? How should we deal with these issues that we are forced to deal with on a regular basis? It doesn't matter if you like or dislike it. It, it is a part of our life. How many of you can avoid taxes? Because I'm going to call the police on you. <laughs> you can't avoid them. You cannot like them. You can complain about them. You can argue whether they should be or shouldn't be or what should be or how we're spending them. All those things are... Oh, are things we talk about and discuss, but they exist and we can't avoid them. And here Jesus was being confronted on what do we do? How do we deal with the government? It's corrupt. It's broken. There's evil officials. There's people doing terrible things. Uh, they're using this money the wrong way. All of these lists of things that you could say why, we, why it would be reasonable to rebel or to uh, fight back. And yet what does Jesus say? In Matthew twenty-two nineteen, he says this, Show me the coin used for the tax. They brought him a denarius. Whose image and inscription is this, he asked them. Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, Give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Jesus revealed a deeper truth. And I think as Christians, we need to see the world with this deeper truth in mind. Jesus revealed something that was spiritual when they were thinking basically in a human fleshly approach. If we can go to the next slide. It's, it's interesting to me, um, the denarius, that's what it looked like. <laughs> right? And then that's a quarter from 2023. He said, give it to me. Whose picture's on there? Whose image is that? Whose image is placed upon that valued piece of metal? And they said, Caesar. 
He said, give to Caesar his earthly due. Give to the government whatever is that theirs. But give to God what is God's. This morning, whose image lies on you? Whose image are you the bearer of? What is the most valuable thing that God has determined on earth that he would pay the most expensive price for? You and I. Because we're his image bearer. He values us. He doesn't value pieces of metal that are rare. He values humans. He values you and I. And he's saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but don't forget to give to God what is God's. You are God's. And I think what we have to be able to see when it comes to this idea of governance, this idea of authority, is that all of it is a reflection of the eternal authority of God. All of it is a much bigger picture. Yes, it's broken. Yes, there are, are, are a lot of things that are wrong with our, our modern approach to it. But it is still a reflection of the things that are great, the things that are holy, the things that are true, the things that are beyond us, the spiritual things. Our value does not come because our country says we have value. Our value doesn't come because anyone else says we have value. Our value comes because God has placed his image upon us. He has died on a cross to establish the greatest value for us that we could have. And so there's a value system. There's an authority within that value system. And the greatest of those authorities is God. He has established that his image and his price that he paid on the cross has established in a system which is the holy heavenly system where he is in authority over all. We see another example in John 19. Here Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's been handed over to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin has handed him over uh, to Pontius Pilate, and then he's standing before the Roman governance, and he has to give an account, and now he's in front of Pilate. And in verse 10, it says, So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Now listen to Jesus' response. You would have no authority over me at all. Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given to you from above. Even at the very instance of the cross, the authority was God. Even at the very instance of the crucifixion, the authority was God. God's plan was being fulfilled. God's sovereignty was being revealed. God was still on his throne. God was still creator of the universe. God was still the one that was ordering all things. As humans, sometimes we believe that we have some sort of control, but in reality, um, all good things come from God. He is the one that is above us in all things. All authority is given from God. And then in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, before Jesus ascends into heaven, what does he say? Jesus came to them. He, he came near and said to them, How much authority? How much authority? How much authority? All authority has been given to him. Where? Not just in heaven, not just in the place we can't see and we don't really know yet, but here on earth. He is the authority on earth. He has more authority than a president or a king or a prime minister. He has all authority. He hasn't lost any of that authority. He is still the ultimate authority. Even though the systems and authorities that exist in, in the places that we see now are broken and corrupt, and yes, we see problems, but he is still the authority. 
He is still the one that is behind these things. He is still the one that is moving in a way where he will return and establish his kingdom and make all things right. But at this present moment, it is broken. But we're called to still submit to a broken authority. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to submit to a broken authority? Because he goes on, Paul goes on to write this, and just think about the time and the place and who he's writing to and and how they would have received this and how we may receive this today. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 2. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have his approval. For it is God's servant for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because because he does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of the wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants. Continually attend to these tasks. Pay your obligation to everyone. Taxes, those you owe taxes. Tolls, those you owe tolls. Respect, those you owe respect. And honor, those you owe honor. There's no gray area in that, is there? (laughs) Paul is pretty clear how we're to deal with government. Why? Because God is the author of it. What we need to start to see is there is an eternal kingdom, and that is the kingdom that Christ died on the cross to open the gates for us to enter into. And that kingdom is perfect, and that kingdom is just, and we're told there will be no more crying or tears or pain in that kingdom. But this is a shadow. This is a foreshadowing of that kingdom, and this is a broken foreshadowing. This is a messy foreshadowing, but it still is a foreshadowing of what is yet to come. And just like when King David... uh, found out that King Saul had died and and these two uh, reporters come to tell him this wonderful news King Saul is dead, King Saul is dead Uh, and King David says how dare you celebrate the death of the chosen king of Israel and he had those two uh, reporters put to death because they did not understand that even if a broken vessel, even if a messy vessel, even if a corrupt vessel is in the place of kingship, it is still the king that God has ordained It is still the position he calls us to respect and honor and to hold with a high level of authority in our lives. But I know as I say this, we're all struggling with this, aren't we? We're struggling. How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to obey such corrupt? How are we supposed to respect such brokenness at times? How am I, as a believer, to, to have a right conscience in doing these things? And I think we can find some answers as we look deeper into God's word. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says this. It says, first of all, then I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And what does he start the list with? For kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may live tranquil and quiet lives In all godliness and dignity, this is good, and it pleases the Savior of our Jesus, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. 
I know we struggle. I know in this room you struggle. We all struggle with how do we deal with politics? How do we deal with government? But I want to give you just some insight from this verse. The way the believer, the way the Christian should deal with these things is first we need to pray for strength for those that are living godly lives that are in positions of authority. Do you realize today we do have godly men and women in positions of authority, whether they're the, lawyer, uh, the mayor, whether they're uh, a judge, whether they're a senator, whether they're a representative, whatever position they hold, there are godly, uh, Christ-centered, Bible-believing, spirit-led men and women in those positions, and we need to pray for their strength, and we need to pray that they would have favor, and we need to pray that their name uh, would be known so that they will be given opportunity to write in legislation that is God-honoring. So first, we need to pray for the strength of those who are already the children of God. Second, we need to pray for the repentance of those who have denied Christ. Ask that God would bring them to a place of repentance. How is it that we believe Saul becomes Paul, but we look at politicians and say they can never change? Why have we believed in our heart that someone is so evil that God cannot make them good? By the power of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's not a single person, there's a political leader today that can't be radically transformed into loving Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then instituting laws and governance that declare that truth. And so we should pray for strength. We should pray for repentance. But we should also pray if there is a, a hardening of the heart, if there's a rebellious spirit, that there would be a replacement the beauty of our system is that we vote pretty much two to four years on everybody. And that prayerfully we could see godly men and women taking positions of authority, that their, uh, the, the legislation that is produced is godly so that we can thank God for the peace that we have, so that we may live tranquil lives, living at peace within the gospel, that we can share the gospel and reveal the gospel so that marriages can be healed, addictions can be overcome, people can know that they are set free from their sin and that burden, and they can have an eternal path that they're walking on. But it doesn't happen necessarily with me arguing with my neighbor or, or typing in some, some hurtful words on the computer. Maybe that's not the best way for the believer. Uh, maybe if we established in our hearts that we would be committed to prayer, that first, he says, first of all things we should do if we really want change. And here's where, here's where the conviction hits me in the face. Do I complain and criticize the government or do I pray for it? Which one do I do more of? Do I complain and criticize or do I pray for? Which one do I do more of? Because if I complain and criticize, the only answer to those complaints and those criticisms is the Holy Spirit of God changing the situation. And the only way that's going to happen is by the power of prayer. And so it's a call. Every time you see a newscast, every time you read a report of something that you disagree with, that is a moment of going to your knees and asking God, please, please bring repentance and salvation to our nation. Every time we see it, it shouldn't lead us to criticism or anger. It should lead us to our knees in prayer. It should lead us to the place of knowing the only one that has the answer is our Savior. And he says that all governing is part of a reflection of him. And so in its nature, it is good. And so we pray for it to become what it was intended to be. 
a place where justice and righteousness are declared and the laws align with that truth. And so I believe as the church, as believers, this is the place we've got to rethink how we're approaching this in many ways because the battle is fought on our knees. It is not fought through arguments. And so we humble ourselves. Why? Why do we do this? Why do we pray for strength, repentance, or replacement? Because he ends this part of the letter this way. Verse 12 of chapter 13. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk in decency as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness or in sexual impurity or promiscuity, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This part of the letter, he says, look, for the next 300 years, and he didn't know at the time, but for the next 300 years, it's going to be really tough to obey the government. But you know, in the year 303, in the year of our Lord, Adonai, that Constantine was convinced by a symbol that he saw in the sky of the cross that all of the Roman Empire should convert to Christianity. Now, was that the perfect answer? It was still man-made. It was still messy. It was still broken. But you know what it did? It made it legal to worship Jesus. And the laws and the legislation began to shift from, from a, this pluralistic, all these gods and Caesar is God, to no, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And churches were started, and, and groups began to freely and openly meet and sing and worship and teach Everything got transformed, and yes, it was messy, and yes, today we have problems because of it, but it shifted because they prayed for 300 years, and God answered their prayer. And the entire world shifted to where today we're able to freely meet in this room. Do you realize this is a rare act that we are partaking in at this moment in the history of the world? Go to other places on this planet, you cannot do this. Go to other times in history, you cannot do this. God answered the prayer that righteous people would take positions of authority within the culture that would allow for us to do these things. That's the prayer. That's the commitment. That's the political stance we need to hold, that whoever is in authority loves Jesus. Whoever is in authority uh, at least recognizes the goodness of God and his standards and his truths and does not deny them as the truth. This is what we need to pray for. This is what we're called to as believers. This is the responsibility of the church. This is what I'm responsible for and you're responsible for. And I believe what God is waiting for is his people to declare with their prayers this truth that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And as he reigns, that it shall be done on earth. What is done in heaven will also be happening here on earth. Let's pray. Let's commit ourselves Let's love our enemies. Let's not do evil. Let's not return evil with evil, but evil with good. Let's have patience and kindness and long-suffering. Let us declare to the world that there is a kingdom that's much better than any kingdom that is yet to come, and when it comes, there will be no more time to look around because it will be the only thing. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God wants us to put on his armor of light. 
<clears throat> How do we apply this? You have water? <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know what this means, right? The devil is trying to keep this message quiet. <laughs> hey, let's be honest. Our power isn't in our persuasive talk, is it? It's not in our arguing ability. It's not in our anger. It's not in how strong we can be and bully people into believing certain things. It's in prayer. And humble love and compassion changes the world, right? And so we need to come to that place. And so how do we do that? You and I need to prepare for Jesus' return daily. He can return right now. He can return at any moment. Are you ready for his return? Paul writes that the, the night is almost over. The day is almost here. The light is on its way. It's, it's traveling to see us, and it'll be here soon. Are you ready for that day when the trumpet sounds? Are you prepared for the moment of Christ's return? Are you committed to praying for your leaders? Do we pray for our school board members? Do we pray for our mayors and our judges and, and those in authority that are locally here? Do we pray for our governors and, and those who are in authority over Florida? Are we praying for our country? Are we praying for those who make decisions and laws and put them into place? We need to commit to praying for these things. This needs to become part of our prayer life. Part of our study and prayer is to make sure that we're praying for those in authority. Thirdly, and this is what the first church was known for, for 300 years, even though it was illegal, and they are trying to extinguish it, they were known as good citizens. There's, there's a, an account of one of the Caesars sending uh, a, a, an individual that was on his team to go find out why, who are these Christians, what are they all about? And the, and the man returned and he said, uh, these Christians are such good citizens. They tell the truth, they don't steal, they respect their neighbors, they're hard workers. They just don't buy the false idols, and they don't worship you as God. They were known for being good citizens. Let's be known for being good citizens. Let's be known for having character and integrity, not looking for loopholes or trying to do things that are not above board. And then finally, and most importantly, let's trust God. Let's trust him that he's in charge, he's in control. No matter who's in the White House, no matter what king is established, no matter what, who's the governor, who's the mayor, Jesus is still the authority. God is still the one who is sovereign over all. Let's trust him and his timing. Let's trust him that he will make all things right, that he is a holy judge and he is a great king and he's worthy of our praise. And so this morning, we talk about a topic it can cause a lot of problems. I know families that are divided over this. I know friends have been divided over this. But I believe there's only one thing that can unite, one thing that can truly bring together, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's be committed to that authority. Let's be committed to following the steps of Christ. Let's remind ourselves of who Im whose image is upon us so that we may live out a faithful life. That when we're done that when we meet our true authority, the one who is the true judge, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he'll welcome us into his eternal home.
Let's pray and ask now for his guidance. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you, Lord, that um, your kingdom is perfect and we don't have to fear how that will be run or who will be in leadership, that you are just and righteous and holy. So we have absolute uh, trust and faith in you. But Lord, in this day, in this time where we are right now, Lord, help us, help us to be uh, reflections of yourself. Help us to love our neighbor as, as we love you, as you love us, as you love them. Lord, help us to be patient and kind. Help us to have an encouraging word. Lord, help uh, us to look for and encourage leaders to rise up within our community that love you. That maybe someone even in this room today feels called to take a leadership position within our government. Lord, help us to support our brothers and sisters and to pray for them daily and to support them and encourage them any way we can. Lord, we thank you that uh, you've made it clear that you are behind all the governing bodies of this world. Even the corrupt ones one day will be held accountable by you. And so, Lord, we trust you. We look forward to return. Help us in this day, Lord, to be faithful. Lord, help us to love you more. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the Lord may have laid something on your heart, maybe a burden. Uh, maybe he's just encouraging you in a new way. Uh, I, would, I would encourage you. There's a, a Connect card if you'd like to fill that out. But in a moment, we're going to take an offering. During the offering, that's an opportunity for you to let me know or let the church know and deacons know, is there an area we can be praying for you? Is there an area we, that you need support? Is there someone in your life that's struggling? You can place that on the Connect card, and we pray for those. We look at those, and, and we make sure that, that uh, those are, are, are um, dealt with in, in an appropriate way.